We are Andy and Margaret Anderson. We will be reading today's scripture in Swahili, the trade language of East Africa. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Gioni, siko io io, yesu aliwambia wanafunzi wake, tuvuke ziwa, twende ngambo. Basi, waka acha ule umati wa watu, waka mchukua yesu katika mashua alimokuwa. Paliku wapo pia mashua nyingine hapo. Basi dhurubakari ikaanza kuvuma. Mawimbi yakaipiga ile mashua hata ikaanza kujaa maji. Yesu alikuwa sehemu ya nyuma ya mashua, amelala juu ya mto. Basi wanafunzi wakamwamsha na kumwambia, "Mwalimu, je, hujali kwamba sisi tunaangamia?" Basi akaamka akaukemea ule upepo na kuyamrisha mawimbi ya ziwa kimya tulia. Hapo upepo ukakoma ukakawa shwari kabisa kisha Yesu akawaambia wanafunzi wake mbona mnagopa je bado hamna imani nao wakaogopa sana wakawa wanaulizana huyu ni nani basi hata upepo na mawimbi vinamti Mark chapter 5 verses 35 to 43 Yesu alipokuwa bado anaongea Watu walifika kutoka nyumbani kwa yule ofisa ya sinagogi wakamwambia Binti yako amekwishakufa. Ya nini kuendelea kumsumbua malimu? Lakini bila kujali walichosema, Yesu akamwambia mkuu wa sinagogi, Usiogope, amini tu. Wala hakumruhusu mtu yeyote kufatana naye ila Petro, Yakobo na Yohana nduguye Yakobo. Wakafika nyumbani kwa ofisa wa sinagogi naye Yesu akasikia makalele kilio na maombolezo mengi akaingia ndani akawaambia mbona mnapiga kelele na kulia msichana hakufa amelala tu lakini wao wakamcheka basi akawaondoa wote nje akawachukua baba na mama na hui, wa huyo msichana na wale wanafunzi wake wakaingia chumbani alimokuwa huyo msichana kisha akamshika mkono akamwambia talitha kumi. maana yake msichana anakuambia amka mara msichana akasimama akaanza kutembea alikuwa na umri wa miaka kumi na miwili hapo watu wakashangaa kupita kiasi Yesu akawakataza sana wasimjulishe mtu jambo hilo kisha akawaambia wampe huyu msichana chakula This is the word of God Thanks be to God You may be seated That is the word of God Thank you so much, uh, Andy and Margaret. I also want you to at least see, I hope it's okay to have uh, Abby. Why don't you stand Abby and Ben and Caleb, who are home too. Um, see, Abby, you're in high school. Ben, eighth grade, tall, eighth grade. Caleb, sixth, right? I was talking with them last night. Now you can sit if you want. You've already heard this sermon. You can come back and you can do it next hour. Um, 
I was talking with them last night. This is their passport country, their passport country. But really home feels, well, when they go over to Tanzania or to, to Kenya. But we have about a month, don't we, to have this become at least a part of your home. So I want all of you to work on that after the service. And uh, this morning also Winnie. Not only did you sing, did you know she wrote that beautiful, beautiful, beautiful piece? I'll never, I, I'm glad I get to come back next hour to hear it, Winnie. And uh, for those of you who were here last week, you can imagine how glad I am to be back home and to be with you. It was just a, a week ago Friday that I got a call from the hospital where my father was taken in Bristol, uh, Tennessee. He had a fever raging through his body, he had infection, his kidneys had stopped functioning. We didn't think he was going to make it, so I caught a, uh, a red eye to fly back. I gave my sermon notes to Pastor Walter. I heard he did a powerful job. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. Um, he was in the intensive care unit, and then amazingly... I mean, the Lord intervened and he started doing better. And I talked with him uh, yesterday morning. He's in the rehab center. He's doing better. I'm, I'm very, very grateful. But uh, you'll see that the sermon title today is When You Want to Cry Help. I, I prepared this sermon from the intensive care unit back in my next to my father's bed. It, it changed. You'll see this, the stories that are there. It just changed the way I looked at this text. And I pray the Lord would use it to draw us You'll see at the end, just a childlike faith in a God who loves us more than we could ever love anyone and who is, uh, is our rock, the rock to whom we can uh, go. We're going to be looking at an amazing text. It runs all the way from Mark chapter 4, verse 35. If you have a Bible, turn there. We're going to look all the way through to the end of chapter 5. What we have there, the way that God inspired Mark to write this, we have four stories back to back to back to back. Four stories of people who are in deep trouble. What kinds of trouble? Well, the kinds of trouble we all face. Uh, they, they didn't know where to turn. They were at their wit's end. They felt absolutely helpless and hopeless, and they, they reached out and hoped that someone would be there. And I think we know, if you'll, you'll recognize most of the stories, uh, Jesus was there. Now, he didn't answer always in the way they might have prescribed it, right? Isn't that the way God works? And he didn't always answer in the timetable uh, that they would have wanted him to have had. But I tell you, he was there and he was found to be sufficient and he still is. So today, what I'm, I'm going to do, this is pretty simple, I think. We're going to race. I want to see all these stories together. So we have to race through them. So we'll look at the four stories and the, and the needs that the people were in. I want you to think about whether you can empathize with them. Then I'm going to pull back again. And see how each one of them in the story turned to Jesus. Because I'll tell you, it's not the way that we always teach prayer in our Sunday school classes. If I were teaching a seminary class and somebody wrote these kinds of prayers, they would get a D minus. And yet, one of them would get an F probably. Uh, and yet, we'll see how God responds when we cry out to him in need. And at the end, there's a message the Lord has put on my own heart and that I want to give to us. And perhaps if I can get through this quickly enough, we'll have some time actually to pray for one another. Ready? All right. Let's, let's look at the situations of helplessness. The first one is at the end of chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. And it is a natural disaster that is happening. 
a natural disaster. Some of us learned this story in Sunday school. Uh, Jesus and his disciples were out in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. I think, uh, do I have, uh, yeah, and, and a big storm came up. It, it says a furious squall came out. And I think we have a wave here. I doubt it was really that big. I, I was almost afraid to put a real storm. I had some pictures, a storm on the Sea of Galilee up for Californians who've seen the ocean waves because the waves on a sea aren't as big as the waves on an ocean. But at the same time, the boats that they were in weren't the same as our ocean liners either. So I'll show you there. There is a boat that was found, oh, 20 years ago. Uh, first century boat, almost exactly, almost certainly the kind of boat that Jesus and the disciples were in. It was only 27 feet long, about seven and a half feet wide, about five feet deep, enough for a person could get underneath. And so that's so you. So when this squall came up and it's strong language, the waves were certainly coming up over the boat and they were terrified. They were terrified. Uh, I thought about this, this as I was preparing this, you know, the uh, the people on the East Coast, when that superstorm Sandy came, it was terrifying. Right. And then they got this news report that a nor'easter was coming and yet another snowstorm was going to come Jeremy, you said this was a brisk, cold winter day. I've got to send you out to some other spots in the world. <laughs> think, think of this. So they were terrified by these natural storms that were happening. And in the ancient Middle East, people were often terrified of the sea altogether. Almost all of the horror stories were set within a sea kind of a storm. A voyage that people would take. If you read the Old Testament in the Psalms, the book of Isaiah, the sea creatures like the Leviathan, they were terrified by them. So here, uh, and I've heard from my Middle Eastern friends that that's often still the case. So here they were in the midst of a big storm in a place where they would naturally be afraid. They were scared out of their minds. Here in Southern California, it would probably be more like fires raging, right? Or an earthquake hitting. Here, here we are right across the street from one of the, uh, the greatest universities in the United States and in the world where we have a lot of scientists and, and engineers. And sometimes we can almost try to fool ourselves into thinking that we can control everything. But then the acts of God come and we know we cannot. All I want you to feel is this. those kind of situations where when they happen, everything seems out of control. Um, for these disciples, the situation seemed quite literally hopeless and helpless. What would they do? Do you, do you feel that? Let's move to the second one. The second one. It's a man who didn't have external things necessarily causing his life to be out of control, but his inner life was completely out of control. So we're, we go across the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus gets out of the boat. I, I put a map up here for you to see kind of what's going on here. When the squall hit, Jesus went to the other side of the lake. Up on the very top, if your eyes are really great, you can see Capernaum. That was the Jewish part of the town. That's where Jesus lived most of his life. But for some reason, probably because of the storm, he was forced to go down into the, 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 the southern part, down in Gadara, down by the Gerasene area. That was all Gentile territory. All Gentile territory. So when he went there, in verse 2 of chapter 5, you see a man came out of the tombs. He was in the tombs because he could no longer live among his own people. His ways were so destructive 
Even their, their strongest chains, the strongest straitjacket, couldn't hold him. And he wasn't only destructive and violent to others. He was self-destructive. Uh, what was his life like? Completely out of control. Night and day among the tombs, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. Uh, I, I often wonder if he showed up at church at the 9 o'clock hour at Lake Avenue Church. I'm looking to see if he's here. I don't think so. How would we diagnose him? How would he diagnose him? For the therapists who are here, wouldn't we say something like he probably has a disintegrated personality disorder? Wouldn't we say something like that? And we begin to try to treat him in an appropriate way. Because for us, sometimes, no matter how much training we have, sometimes it's hard to really figure out what the cause of the problem is, right? Is it uh, physiological? Are there certain things happening inside hormonally or so forth that cause a person to be out of control? Is it environmental? Was a person so, so um, abused in his or her childhood that at this time their life is, is completely out of control? So is it physiological? Is it psychological? Is it environmental? Is it emotional? Or is it something else? Sometimes we don't know. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew. And, and the Bible tells us, you know, verses 1 through 20 of, of Mark chapter 5, without any reservation, without any embarrassment, that this man was demon-possessed. And, and now you're with me here, right? It's not that all psychoses are demonic in nature. They, they are not. However, it's pretty clear from the Bible that these sorts of disturbances can be caused by demonic activity. And I'll just tell you this. What, however your worldview looks at this sort of thing, what's become clear to me in my many years of being a pastor is that there are so many people who feel the way this man felt, where anxiety attacks hit, where inside you just wonder, why do I feel this way? It's almost a terror that sometimes strikes in the middle of the night, and it strikes so many people. And there are many people who come to church specifically because you're looking for some help for that situation. This man had his life day and night out of control. This man's community had tried to help him, but they had failed. The best they could do was to try to get him out of town in the cemetery because his life was really as good as dead, practically speaking. Couldn't be productive. So I just want to say this. Even if you're just in visiting a church and you say, I don't believe in these demons and things, whatever your worldview may look like, when you read this man, you see a real human being, a real human being in history. And he was a man who had come to a point in his life where he couldn't be helped by anyone or anything. Like those disciples on the turbulent sea, he was helpless. Do you see it? Third situation. Uh, found in verses 25 to 34. A situation of chronic sickness. A woman who had been sick for so many years. I'll tell you, you can imagine, this is the one that really struck me. As I was thinking about preaching this sermon to you, as I was sitting beside my dad's bed at the intensive care unit, um, I know I was in the Bible Belt. You know, I was down in the Tennessee, Virginia area. And uh, when we were in the intensive care unit, somehow the news got out to the other people in the unit that a, they said a man of the cloth was down in room 3045. And so they would come down and say, would you come and, and pray for my mom? Would you come and pray for my husband? 
So I, I always carry healing oil. Did you know that? So I would just go and, and pray for people. It made me see how real this situation is to us. We, we read about a woman who wanted to be whole, who wanted the sickness to be gone, and yet couldn't find any help. Look how it's put in verses uh, 25 and 26. Let me see if I can find that here. Yeah, a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal, though she was under the care of many doctors, but she spent all she had. And yet, instead of getting any better, she grew worse. Now, almost certainly, this woman's problem was gynecological. She had some sort of a uterine hemorrhage. And if I'm right about that, and I'm almost 100% sure that I'm right about that, then in the eyes of the people of her society, it wasn't just that she was sick, but she is also an outcast because she would have been deemed to be unclean, uh, almost like leprosy. She wouldn't have been able to go to the worship service. She shouldn't have come into the town or into the community until this thing was cleaned up and, and, and she was healed. So you see, even though she wasn't demonic possessed or, or insane like the man in verses 1 through 20, her situation was the same. She had no place of belonging. No, and even if she had a family and friends who might have cared for her, she couldn't find any help. She had tried to find help, but obviously her medical problem went beyond the medical knowledge of her day. I, I felt this so keenly as sometimes it just seemed like whatever we do for a 90-year-old man in this situation, there's no way that this sort of thing can be healed. That's how she must have felt, like those disciples at the sea, like that man who was in the tombs. This woman really was helpless in terms of how the world looked at her. Which brings me to the fourth situation. A family facing death. All right. This is actually sandwiched around the story of the woman. It begins in verse 21 to 24, and then we come back again. It is, without question, the most emotionally moving of all four stories for me. I really was quite sure my father would die this week. And, uh, well, just what you feel inside, it, it, you can see it expressed for this father and his daughter in verse 22. When one of the synagogue rulers, his name was Jairus, came to see Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him, my little Daughter is dying. Please come. Now, let me tell you, there are a lot of things in our lives that are tough, right? Anyone want to be a witness? <laughs> there are a lot of things in this world that are tough. I don't think there is anything more difficult than bereavement. And I don't think there are any bereavements in this world, world that are more difficult than the loss of a child. There are so many of you who are in this church who know this firsthand. And I think you know that I know this firsthand as Chris and I lost our second daughter a number of years ago. And even if you have never experienced the death of one of your children, can't you feel what this father felt when he came to Jesus? If you've ever been beside the bedside of a child who is desperately ill, you can just feel it, the, the panic that, that he was uh, almost being consumed by. Don't, don't you feel it? Jesus, I, I've heard about the power that you have. 
Can't you do something for my little daughter? You, you feel the dryness in his throat, don't you? you? Feel the wetness in his eyes. And yet it seemed like nothing could be done. You know the story, don't you? Because the people around him came to Jairus and said, Don't bother the rabbi anymore. Your daughter is dead. So perhaps even more than, than the disciples at sea. Perhaps even more than the man in the tombs. And perhaps even more than the woman who was sick. When death is in the equation, it seems utterly hopeless. So do you see what we have? Why I wanted to put these four stories together into one sermon is that the Bible draws together in these two chapters, just back to back to back to back, the kinds of situations in life that we all face. Can you relate to what these people are facing? And they wondered what on earth they could do. What does it feel like? I grew up in the hills, you know. And sometimes if you got over too close to the edge of the hill, you, you'd almost fall over. Sometimes when you'd find yourself falling, you could feel it happening. Have you ever done this? You could feel it happening. And, and, and yet you, you reach back and you hope you can find a root. You hope you can find a rock. You hope you can find anything to hold on to. That's the way they were. Helpless, hopeless in this world, trying to find a shelter in the midst of this storm. And they found it. Which, let's pull it back. Now, let, let's see how they reached out. So we come to the second part of the message, the way they prayed for help. Um, it's maybe not the way that our classes would teach you how to do it. Uh, the first one with the, the men at sea, verses 35 to 41 of chapter 4. I call it an anxious and accusing plea. So you have these terrified disciples in a boat. And, and you know where Jesus was? Sleeping in the bottom of the boat. They didn't pray what we might naturally teach people to pray. Instead, in verse 38, they woke Jesus up and they snapped out at him. Teacher, don't you care? Now, just think about it. Uh, how many of us in our times of stress lash out at the people closest to us? Uh, Spouses at spouses, children at parents, parents at children. Sometimes we do it to God. God, I don't even know if you're there. Don't you know what's happening to me? Don't you care? Now, again, I've, I've pointed this sort of thing out to you before. One of the most encouraging things to me as a follower of Jesus is the way that Jesus responded to the accusation. Instead of him being offended at their impudence, Jesus really viewed their words as an invitation. Sometimes it takes such a wise counselor, friend, family member to hear through the anger and frustration and anxiety that a person has that when a person says, don't you care, deep down they're saying, can't you do anything? Do you see it? And Jesus could do something. Such an amazing story. Verse 39. So he got up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. And they obeyed. The wind died down, the sea became calm. I'm telling you, there's only one word for that. It is power. We see here in Jesus the power to do something nobody else can do. 
power to control forces that are outside of human control, power to be able to change the helplessness of a group of people into peace and hope. Hallelujah. Second prayer, verses 1 to 20. I, I read the demoniac. That's what we often call him. I read his words differently from the way many people do. So you have to see if you really agree with me. Verse seven. I, I hear him saying the kind of thing that I've heard so many people say when I tell them that I'm a, a man of the cloth and, and try to get him to come to Lake Avenue Church. And sometimes people say, listen, if you knew the kinds of things I've done and the kind of thing you wouldn't want me in your church. I think I've told you something with the implication. If God knew the kind of things that I do, he would know. And, and the sense is they're beyond help. The, the feeling that their lives have gone beyond the mercy of God. And, and so, you know what I always say to them? He knows. Come. Uh, we, uh, hopefully we can be as merciful and welcoming as God is. But he certainly is uh, welcoming, gracious, and merciful. See, um, so he comes to Jesus and he shouts at the top of his voice. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now, as I have visited um, emotional wards or psych wards over the years, have you ever noticed that people who are having deep emotional trouble have the most uncanny sense of spiritual realities? I I told you they were on the Gentile side of the lake. They would have hardly have known who Jesus was, and yet this man did. And when he cries out, what do you want to do with me? What I hear Jesus saying is, I do want to do something with you. I don't care what's in your past. I don't care if you are troubled by by demons. I don't care what kind of evil is there. You are made in the image of God. I want to do something with you. And I don't want to leave you where you are. The, 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 The... title of this entire sermon series is uh, this too shall be made right however you read what this man was going through what he was going through was not the way god created our lives to be lived amen he wanted to do something and set him free now just in case you wonder put a few things down number one i do believe in supernatural realities like demons anybody shocked I believe that there are supernatural realities that go beyond the empirical realities of our world. I also know, just to let you know this too, too, that these kinds of emotional disturbances can be caused by many things other than just demons. So I understand that. In my family, we have sort of a history of bipolarism. And and have been able to see that so much of that is physiological. I want you to know that you don't just look at every person who's deeply troubled and say that must be demons. So I believe that. But three, here's the point I want to make. Whatever the cause of the trouble is, Jesus cares. Jesus can change things. He has complete control over any of the realities and any of the problems that are in this world. Whether they are psychological, whether they are physiological, whether they are demonic, Jesus speaks and things happen that nobody else possibly could do. Uh, so, so, you know, um, the story, he comes and pleads, can't, don't you, can't you do something? What do you want with me? And Jesus wanted to heal him. So, but, but the legion of demons inside of him didn't want to just be sent out into nothingness. So I've I've told you about this, this amazing rescue. They saw this herd of swine 
happily on the Galilean hillside, making pigs of themselves. And Jesus casts the demons out of the man, and the, and the swine go hog wild. Remember, I said it's the first, uh, the first deviled ham in the history of the world. All the, my kids say the same jokes every time. This, this is so clear to me that what was happening here went beyond, goes beyond my understanding of reality. But it isn't it clear that whatever the trouble is, Jesus has power over it. He has power over it all. And you and I have to be as shocked as, uh, as the people there were when the people came back and they saw this man sitting at the feet of Jesus, dressed and in his right mind. First time I ever preached this sermon, I preached it in Chicago. It was the time when, do any of you remember Dennis Rodman was with the Bulls? If anybody seemed out of control, it was Dennis Rodman. <laughs> I said, you know what this would be like in Chicago? It would be like me preaching here and sitting right on the front row taking notes. There's Dennis Rodman, and he's wearing a tie, just like Jeremy. That's what it would be like. There's only one word for this. It's power. Power to bring liberation where nothing else could. Power to bring a new life when everybody else has considered us as dead. Number three, the woman who was sick. I call her a wish-filled grasp. The way that she came to Jesus also has troubled many people because it seems like she didn't even know how to pray. So she just runs up and grabs hold of his clothes and it just looks like it's sheer superstition. And I'll tell you, that bothers a lot of people. Look at verse 27. When the woman heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I might be healed. You know, we say that's the ancient world, but we're still like this. We still do these superstitious things. Students, when you make a good grade on a test, the next time you're going to wear the same clothes. Uh, You know, Michael Jordan... Uh, after they won a championship at North Carolina, wore the same North Carolina shorts underneath his bull shorts his entire time. It was just all superstition. Did you know that? Uh, We we still knock on wood and throw salt. It's all superstition. Christians, that that embarrasses us that in the Bible this is there. So surely Jesus is going to correct her. But no, she reaches out to him. In verse 34, he turns to him and he says, Woman, it is your faith that has healed you. Now, it wasn't her superstition. It was her faith. And I just love it. When things are really hard, sometimes we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. And yet, however we come, he sees through our inadequacies and offers his hope. This, this time, the Bible uses the word for what happened. Verse 30, Power. Power to change the helplessness of a chronic invalid into health and productivity and and belonging. Hallelujah. Which brings me to the fourth prayer of the synagogue leader named Jairus. Chapter 5, verses 21 to 24, 35 to 43. I, I used to read this when our daughter was dying so long ago up in the central coast. We had to fly her from there to Fresno in the children's hospital. And I read this text so often. It's the most distraught cry of help of all. Verse 23, Jesus, please come. And then this this synagogue ruler falls on his face before Jesus. Uh, He was a a leader and a ruler. 
And, you know, in our own politics, we see this. Leaders are not supposed to show weakness. This was especially true of Middle Eastern men. You're not supposed to show weakness because everybody else will just devour you. And yet this man had learned that weakness, honest weakness, was not weakness at all. We have to own what's going on and who we are. And he came to the right place and he came to Jesus. I have seen your power. I know what you can do. Will you help? And as you know, it looked like he hadn't uh, come quickly enough. Uh, They said his little daughter had already died. And I love what happens. Jesus gets rid of the crowd. He just goes to the home personally, takes his three closest disciples. There's no big faith healing service up here and followed by an offering. Just in the privacy of a home. And he speaks her own language. Talithakum. Little girl, rise up and be healed. And she was. It's the power, the power of God that is available through Jesus. Power to dispel the shadow of the grave. Power to turn the hopelessness of a loving dad into hope. Now, just some things, just something I want us to take home with us. I've been asking, why, why do you think God inspired Mark to put these stories back to back to back to back in his word? I just encourage you when you go home to read them through at one sitting. I, I think they're there so that on one side you and I can read them and, and we can say, oh, whatever I'm going through, I'm not the first one. The Bible lets us know that eventually God is going to make all things right. But we live in this time where all things are not right. So that these moments of helplessness and hurting are a part of our human condition. And yet, God is here. And and that when we have placed our faith in Jesus, we have placed our faith in the one through whom everything was made. So I think it's so that we can understand that when we go through the difficulties, this is a part of human experience. But on the other side, that God is here so that we can come to him and to seek his help. So the thing that hit me so hard about this is I've been thinking about it sitting there in that intensive care unit is I think you and I need to be people who come back again to a childlike faith so that our first intuition when trouble hits is to turn in faith to Jesus. Our first intuition and to say, I don't understand this. This makes no sense to me. But I believe in you and I believe that you are good. My life is yours. Whatever happens, I will trust you. Will you help? And sometimes we may pray things that aren't exactly perfect prayers. But God hears our hearts. He knows our faith when it is there. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that you and I should uh, uh, just trust Jesus and not use what he gives us in this world to bring about his hope and his healing. So that we shouldn't just throw away our medicine. Because medicine is a part of what God's created in this world. It's a part of his world too, you know. And I'm not saying that when you're dealing with injustice in this world, you shouldn't use the courtrooms. That's a part of what God's given us in this world. But sometimes those things are inadequate. I'm simply saying that the first thing we should do is to simply come and say, I am yours and I give this to you. Will you heal this relationship? Will you heal this sickness? Lord, will you intervene in ways that I could never have imagined? My faith and trust is in you. 
Now, so I'm not telling you to throw away your medicine. But then I don't think many of you would do that anyway. There are churches in the world that I preached then that that would be the first thing that people would do. Oh, let's just trust Jesus and not use anything in this world. That's not generally true of us at Lake Avenue Church, is it? You know what's generally true of us, what I've thought? Because I, I looked in the mirror, so I think I know. We tend, when the trouble comes, to become practical agnostics. That's not kind. Pra- do you know what a practical agnostic is? Agnostic. You don't really know if there's a God. Well, we're, we're not agnostics. That's why we're in church today. But practically speaking, we become agnostics. The trouble hits and we just do the same thing that an unbeliever would do. We don't turn to God and we don't tell him we're going to trust in him. We don't ask him specifically for his help. Even if it's a sickness, uh, we just do what everyone else does. Use the medicine. And even if we pray, the best we can pray is uh, guide the hand of the doctor. And that's a good thing to pray, especially if it's a surgeon. That's a, that's a good thing to pray. Pray that. But there is more that the Bible is teaching us. And that is that God is with us. We practice his presence. So that when situations seem helpless, we know they're not. When they seem hopeless, we know they're not. Be assured of this. God's help will not come the way we expect it. Nor on our timetable. And I don't know what you're going through. If you're going through wonderful times... Hallelujah. Probably when you go home, they won't be as wonderful. It's just the way this world is. Isn't, isn't this an encouraging message? <laughs> I just want you to know, when in this imperfect world, the difficulty hits, and you get calls like I got a week ago Friday, I think Jesus asks you and me the same questions he asked the disciples in Mark 440. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? He asks us that when things from the outside, natural disasters or otherwise hit us that we didn't expect. Why are you afraid? Don't you trust me? He asks us that when the anxiety hits inside and we feel things are out of control and wonder, is it even supernatural that's going on? He says, don't you know that I speak and those things are dispelled? Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? He asked me this all last week. When sickness is in the equation, why are you afraid? Don't you believe? He asks us that even when death is in the picture. Why are you afraid? Don't you know I've overcome death? Even death cannot separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Have you no faith? And he says the same thing to you and me that he said to that father, Jairus, don't be afraid. Believe. Believe. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Like our musicians to come. I also am going to be asking just for a few moments at the end of the service as we're singing or during the service, uh, for our pastors and some of our uh, ministry council members and and prayer counselors to be all around the worship center, including up in the balcony. 
And um, if you're going through a difficult time, if you have a loved one that you've been praying for and you feel like you're the only one praying, if there's a fractured, broken relationship that you say, I don't know how this will ever be healed, if there simply is any kind of a trouble that just seems beyond the power that you have, I, I would like you to just step out just briefly to mention what kind of trouble it is. We'll just have a brief word of prayer for you, and then um, we will see what the Lord will do. I said sometimes we just reach back there. We feel like we're going off a cliff. Reach back there and see if anyone is there. And uh, he's given us one another to reach together. So I'd like to have you just step out from wherever you are as the music is being sung. Let's stand. I think we'll be able to sing this together, some of it, won't we, Jeremy? Let me lead us in prayer. And then just come and have a moment of prayer with those who are around. And then I'll come back up and bring the service to a close. Father, you are in this place. You are the one who spoke and the world came into being. You came to this world in the person of Jesus, demonstrating that you continue to have power over all those things that trouble us in this world. And we are yours. We're followers of Jesus. Yet sometimes in the troubles we forget. So we want to remember now and have a few moments of prayer that just like these people saw your power, we too might see your power, your healing, your liberation, the hope that comes when our faith is in you. Speak to us as we're here. In Jesus' name, amen. Continue. Just step in. Let's stand and sing. Step out from wherever you are and just have a moment of prayer about whatever may be affecting you these days.